You're listening to Weird and Dead, the paleontology podcast that tells evolution's most embarrassing and bizarre stories. I'm Megan Weatherell. And I'm Amy Atwater, and we are two living scientists who are weirdly excited about dead things. On this episode, we discuss the how, what, when, where, and why the Earth has killed so many of its inhabitants so many times, including that time that the dinosaurs all kicked the bucket, and when we lost the most majestic of creatures, Rugo's corals. We'll dive into all the weird hypotheses on their final moments, from space rocks to sex lakes to deathly Milky Way snuggles. Like always, our podcast talks about some extremely disturbing things, so check the warnings in the description. And you know, if we are talking about extinctions, it is definitely going to cover death. So be forewarned. Let's talk about death. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So today we are talking about extinctions, or as Amy just put it, let's talk about death. Let's talk about mortality. It's going to be really uplifting, Mm -hmm. but maybe not as gross as normal, which is pretty exciting. Uh, So we're going to talk about extinctions, and specifically we're going to talk about two Big ones. Uh, There are five, five really big ones, but we're going to talk about the two biggest. Uh, One, which is like actually the biggest. Yeah. um, And the other one, which is just the most popular. Um, Mass extinctions, by the way, they are defined both by like the percentage of things that die and they are defined as uh, like mm-hmm. being over a specific period of time, but that specific period of time yes. is like yes. geologically Not short for short, you, not right? like a year or two yeah. people, yeah. not even like a thousand years. We are talking like, yeah. I mean, a million years, maybe. I mean, maybe a couple million years, you know, maybe yeah. many, many, many millions of years. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes mass extinctions are slow, as it turns out. And we're going to start off with the, the most popular one, although not technically the worst extinction, and that is the KT extinction. Bye-bye, dinosaurs. Ba-ba-ba-ba. That's right. So the KT extinction is very much so uh, probably the most well-known mass extinction just because it's when dinosaurs, and when I say dinosaurs, I mean non-avian dinosaurs. Okay, <laughs> okay. I hear you. I hear all of you. I hear you. Okay, birds are dinosaurs. I recognize that for the sake birds aren't of real. this. <laughs> for the sake of this episode, I'm going to refer to them as dinosaurs because I get really tired of going non-avian dinosaurs. Yeah. So anyway, the KT extinction is actually the KPG extinction. Yeah, I know. They changed it. So it stands for the <laughs> Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction Event. And this one, this is a boundary that not only killed all the dinosaurs, but also separates the age of reptiles, a.k.a. the Mesozoic, which is when dinosaurs were dominant. Mm-hmm. And they're all their methane farts all up in this place. Uh, and it separates... <laughs> That's not what that was, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> It separated the Mesozoic from the Cenozoic, which is the age of mammals, uh, though you could kind of argue it's the age of a lot of other things, too. But we're going to call it the age of mammals. And we are currently still in the Cenozoic. Uh, Now, okay, we're going to like, I don't know, like this, we could go into a bunch of stuff about the geologic timescale, which maybe we'll touch on that. It's um, So we'll see how deep in the weeds we have to go with trying to explain all of the different timescales that we use within geology. But essentially, we change our minds because, again, human beings love to put things in categories that like rocks and or animals may or may not actually follow those rules and we therefore have to adjust as we learn more or you know realize like things don't fit into these nice neat boxes that we make so uh another thing that's confusing is like it's the kpg or the kt extinction event and it's 
Cretaceous is spelled with a C, right? Um, maybe folks didn't know that, but Cretaceous is spelled with a C. So why is it K? Uh, the reason I was told in my historical geology class in college is that Cretaceous is uh, essentially spelled with a K in German. And uh, so it's essentially taking it from the German spelling of the name. And this is largely because like, why do we use German spelling? Why is that relevant? And it's actually because from like the 1840s until mm, a certain time, uh, German was the primary language of the sciences. <laughs> I wonder if you can guess when this changed. Hint, it's in the mid-1940s. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wonder why. Uh, and it changed from uh, from being German being the primary language to English. However, there's a holdover from uh, for the KT or the KPG, and that is the Cretaceous. Now, I've also been told that the K is because C was already taken by Cambrian, which is an earlier time period in the geologic record when, when like trilobites and shit exploded all over the place. Also, Carboniferous. <laughs> no one cares. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody cares about that one. Just like, people do care about the Carboniferous, <laughs> but I guess not everyone subdivides it like uh, Americans do too, which is also anyway. We could do a whole episode on geologic timescale if you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We, we don't think that you want, but... <laughs> but we totally can. Uh, so essentially, like, it used to be KT, which stands for Cretaceous Tertiary, all right? Which is, like, dividing, again, like, the Mesozoic from the Tertiary, which goes back to, like, really old-school division of the geologic record when things were primary, secondary, and tertiary. And then we discovered, like, oh, there's actually a quaternary. Oh, gosh. Oh, what do we do? Oh, no. And so essentially, like, uh, there is an official group of people who... To actually oversee the standardization of geologic time and they have done away with the tertiary. It no longer exists. Now, uh, oh. one of the subdivisions of the Cenozoic, so again, the age of mammals, is the Paleogene, uh, which is going to represent um, some of the coolest and arguably my favorite time periods um, by far and away. Uh, so those are, I love those ones. Um, and the tertiary, since it's pretty old school, we didn't quite understand how the boundaries of that one worked with, you know, the secondary and the quaternary and um, they decided to do away with it uh, however it's like pretty hard to beat KT because it just rolls off the tongue and KPG is just not nearly as sexy so but essentially so the KT we're just gonna call it the KT because again I like it better it's also my husband's initials so we're gonna go with that KPEG or KPEG uh, was 66 million years ago actually we have like an exact date for it. It's 66.052 plus or minus 0.008, which is when you come to date something that that's old, that old in the fossil record or just geologic record to have that level of precision with 0.008. I mean, we're talking within like hundreds of thousands of years. That's incredible, by the way. I know folks like uh, the, we, we could also do an episode on geochronology, but I'd rather kill myself. So we're not going to do that right now either. I'm just going to tell you that that's very precise. It's thanks to doing argon-argon analysis, geochronology analysis, aka dating the fossil record, if you want to wine and dine the fluvial sediments of the Hell Creek Formation. Uh, that's what these authors did to get a very exact date. We're going to go with 66 million years ago because that's what it is. So uh, in this extinction event, about 75% of species on the planet died, okay? Died. Um, not just land either. The water boys were also screwed during this experience and it 
happen to affect um, the big boys a little bit more than the little ones. Uh, so the number that I keep finding in my research was like anything over 55 pounds suffered worse. So when this extinction event being bigger boned was not super great, um, there's some exceptions to this, like crocodiles. Again, mad respect for crocodiles. Mm-hmm. If you know me, I really like like, come on, they've been around for four fucking ever. It's impressive. Um, so they do okay. Sea turtles do okay. And there can be some big boys in there. So, um, big ones more so than little ones. Of of course, most famously it's the dinosaurs, right? Like non-avian dinosaurs just go out and some folks, and there's quite a bit of research and it's kind of contentious that dinosaurs are probably already on their way out at this point. Uh, And this goes back to like, how do you define an extinction event when animals are going extinct? I'm so, so sorry. All the time. Like it is constantly happening. I know that I've been known to rant about pandas and how I think they're absurd creatures that again, (laughs) just because they're cute is why we've pumped so many billions of dollars into protecting them when I think they're probably already on their way out because like they're worthless. They're trying. They are trying. <laughs> they to can't go. even know. They don't even know how to have sex with each other. They have to show them panda porn in zoos Listen, because they don't. If my diet was entirely bamboo, I also would not be that invested in continuing my species. Like that doesn't sound like a, a fun way to live. <laughs> yeah. When you have the dentition of a fucking bear, when you have the ability to like take down man and fish <laughs> and everything in between, and instead you sit there all day, every day, stripping down bamboo bamboo like I just you know it's not the individuals that I have a problem with it's just the species as a whole that I anyway dinosaurs may or may not have already been facing some uh uh-oh times uh but this was really the nail in the coffin this was the straw that broke the camel's back but they weren't the only things that went out um other famous mesozoic animals that are frequently confused as dinosaurs also go extinct so it's again another reason why it's kind of confusing like they all lived at the same time they all died at the same time uh but things like mosasaurs uh which are these terrifying marine reptiles that are essentially like giant komodo dragons that went to the ocean and got huge uh plesiosaurs which are those long necks swimming marine reptiles that pretty much look like the Loch Ness monster in real life uh, and then we also have pterosaurs which are always called dinosaurs they're not they're flying reptiles so these are your pterodactyls or quetzalcoatlus or whatever you want to whatever group you want to call them they all die out but they're not the only ones we lose a bunch of mammals we lose a bunch of birds we lose lizards we lose insects and we really lose a lot of plants um Yeah. Oh, yeah. We see like there's tons of so flowering plants come about in the Cretaceous and the Mesozoic and they just take a total nosedive. Like we see pollen uh, numbers go from being very plentiful in the lower boundary rocks to just being totally gone. Mm -hmm. And the thing I found very interesting though um, is that the oceans got decimated as well. You know, we're talking about these big scary marine reptiles, but a lot of like little things go extinct then too, like ammonites, uh, which are quintessential fossils. Uh, And also plankton. Apparently like 90% of plankton went out which of course destroyed the food chain in the oceans which did not help the constant and the terrible carnage that this that this entailed uh so yeah i mean it is uh it's a a scary scary time it's uh not fun i don't remember what our segue is i'm gonna look over here (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> plants. You're going to talk more about plants. Yeah. I mean, so angiosperms are what we call flowering plants today. So if you can imagine there was a very long time in the Earth's history where there were no flowers. How sad. Uh, however, we see a really big difference between what flowering plants and plants in general we had in the Mesozoic and specifically the Cretaceous than what we have around today. It's like the KPG really is like a new chapter for plant evolution. And so it's very interesting that plants were so fucked over in this extinction event. Uh, and this is different though, from the other extinction event that we're going to hear about now, an older one that was, even though plants did okay, it was way, way, way bigger. So hold on to your butts and I'm going to pass the mic over (laughs) as if that's what we do, which we don't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Physically we can't, we are separated by vast space. (laughs) And because of lag, sometimes time as well. (laughs) So plants. Yeah. I mean, really, I'm going to talk about the Permian-Triassic extinction, uh, which occurred about 252.3 million years ago. Although we'll talk a little bit about (laughs) refining that age as well. And one thing that does set the PT boundary apart from the KPEG boundary, which is the only way I will be referring to it from now on, (laughs) uh, is plants. Plants did fine. Plants were okay. I mean, there well, there was a little bit of a problem. Uh, they had some some mutated sperm. Come on, but like you know, who doesn't have that problem? <laughs> yeah, uh, unlike literally <laughs> everything else. So the PT extinction is the biggest extinction. It killed the most things. And when you're talking about what that means, it is important to keep in mind that a lot of these estimates really vary. So, for example, uh, there's an estimate out there that over 90% of marine species went extinct, which is also about 80% of marine genera, which I realize that those two numbers may not sound super distinct, uh, but I gave this horrible example to Amy earlier that I'm going to give again. Please. I want you to imagine there's a serial killer on your street. Uh, There's a big difference between that serial killer going and like killing quite a few individuals And that serial killer, like, decimating entire households and killing off every last remaining member of the Johnson family, which is statistically impossible because there are so many of them. But, like, for the sake of this example. So the fact that we often talk about extinctions in terms of family-level extinction and genus-level extinction, um, it's because that's way scarier. That's cutting off gigantic chunks uh, of our biodiversity. Species are also bad, but the fact that uh, 80% of marine uh, genera is were lost uh, and 70% of terrestrial vertebrate families were lost, like that's, that's bad. It was a big deal. It was a very big extinction. Uh, that said, um, the animals that we lost during the PT uh, extinction are maybe why it's not quite as popular. <laughs> Because I what was looking through. What are you talking and I was about? Like, oh my god! I know, I know. Okay, I was like, oh my god, yes, trilobites went extinct. Yes, there are no trilobites after the PT boundary. There's also not that many trilobites left by the time that it comes around. So trilobites, mm. not not killing it before they got killed. Pelicosaurs, so big things like Dimetrodon, those big weird finned animals. Sailback, yeah. Sailback, yeah. I was like, finned animals are sea animals, Megan. <laughs> So (laughs) these animals with giant sails, they went extinct technically, yes, in the PT time period, but also 
they really kind of went extinct mostly a little bit before that. There were not that many stores around. So one of the really great representatives of what died during mm. the Permo-Triassic boundary, Rugos corals. What? Yep. Not my Rugos. I know. I can't imagine why that is not such a charming representation of life that we haven't like erupted into mourning. Where's my Rugos Park movie? <laughs> yeah, they're... What is a Rugos coral, Amy? <laughs> oh, they're 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 fascinating. Yeah, they're just like these weird invertebrates that are not marine invertebrates that aren't super closely related to too much stuff around today. And they were the major reef formers of the Paleozoic and of the Permian in particular. So what we have coral doing today, they were doing back in the day. And it's like what's kind of happening to coral now, who are just also being mass murdered by the world and by humans. But this was. Uh, the precursor to that, um, and but not direct relatives, I don't believe. Uh, they did their own their own thing. Yeah. And then, of course, we also lose many synopsids. So synopsids is a group of organisms that only has one hole in their head other than eyeballs. We are synopsids. You are synopsids, dear listener. Mm-hmm. And so were things like polycosaurs, yeah. technically. But there were also things like dicynodonts, things like lystrosaurs. Weird, they all look kind of like a reptile cosplaying as a mammal. Like yes, they all kind of love that. And maybe that's just paleo art because it just looks like they have no fur whatsoever, but maybe also no scales and they kind of have mammalian body shapes. There were a lot fewer of them after the PT boundary. Obviously, not none since we, we exist. are here and yes. we, are, we are synopsis. But uh, yeah, the, lots of them disappeared. But plants. Plants were fine. And weirdly enough, this extinction seems to have happened kind of in two Hmm. events. So we did mention that these things kind of take a long time. Marine extinctions are a little easier to study from this time because we just seem to have more marine rocks with fossils. Uh, And they definitely happened at two separate times with a recovery period in between of about 180,000 years, which seems like the blink of an eye geologically, but is also... An incredibly long time if you're thinking in human terms. So whatever happened during the Permo-Triassic extinction, it actually was kind of a one-two punch. Uh, And it seems to be slightly different between the two punches. And what we do see happening during the PT extinction, regardless of which one you're looking at, uh, is you see kind of the distinct characteristic of the Permo-Triassic extinction is a huge change in carbon isotopes that indicates basically a lot of carbon dioxide was being pumped into the atmosphere. So much so that it seems to have warmed the planet somewhere between about five and 10 degrees very, very rapidly. So real, real big heating effect. There are also really big spikes of mercury, which the paper that I read described incessantly as toxic shock. Fun. (laughs) Which... Fun fact, guys, that's uh, that's why you want to change your tampons more regularly or you will get permo-triassic extinction. <laughs> Were there any women on this paper? Like, I'm I, sorry. I, I mean, statistically speaking, I doubt it. I don't remember. <laughs> it's like, because I don't think so. I just yeah. don't think so. Right? That's a great idea. What a great term. Yeah, toxic shock, toxic shock. Then they kept calling it pulses, and then I was already in kind of a period brain mode, so I was just thinking. (laughs) Anyway, so 
that's kind of a big characteristic of the PT extinction. We'll talk about where that CO2 came from in a second. So CO2, mercury, K-pig extinction is yeah. known for slightly different things. Amy, tell me more about what we think may have caused it and uh, what we used to think caused it. Oh my gosh. Go for it. Your turn. <laughs> Your turn now. Ah, yes. So the KT extinction. So it was very interesting because I thought some of these were old school reasons. And then I dug into them and it appears that quite a few of them are quite recent. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this just (laughs) isn't a good look for us as a whole paleontologist. Come on, let's get with the program. Uh, So the KT extinction is kind of unique amongst extinction events because it was recognized a really, really long time ago, not by the rocks um, and not Mm -hmm. by any... I don't know, geologic necessarily influence. I don't know if that's super unique, but essentially it was recognized over a hundred years ago by scientists who noticed a major change in the type of fossils that were present below and above a certain boundary. And that is essentially dinosaurs, right? Is that we, they were like, all of a sudden, all of the dinosaurs are totally gone. And what the fuck, this is how we make our money is by selling the bones of dinosaurs. And now they're gone. (laughs) Um, Why? Um, So I dug into a couple of uh, ideas about some old school reasons. And again, some that are not so old. Yes, there's an asteroid involved in this story. Uh, But before that, uh, folks were trying to figure out why and how dinosaurs went extinct. Um, A lot of these ideas I found in a Smithsonian Magazine article by Riley Black, who is an incredible paleo writer does Mm -hmm. awesome shit so go check out her work uh and thank you for writing this awesome article that uh, then i went down some rabbit holes um so my favorite rabbit hole that i totally went down was this idea that um dinosaurs went extinct because of overactive glands that they had (laughs) yes like weird horny teenagers Yeah, this was proposed by a paleontologist slash geologist slash aristocrat slash spy slash albanologist slash um, overall badass extraordinaire who we're definitely going to have to do uh, just a bonus episode on this paleontologist. So this is Baron Franz Nobska von Helsel Silvias, who thought the dinosaurs got (laughs) so big and swole because they had an overactive pituitary gland and that it essentially caused them to get so large and nasty that it led to their death because he thought that they were like so grotesque and giant that they couldn't successively mate with each other anymore (laughs) which I think is just really really quite entertaining (laughs) there's actually quite a few ideas that kind of pertain to like not being able to get it on anymore which I guess is at like the heart of not being able to continue your species so I feel you uh but yeah no I mean that's panda's problem right maybe pandas have inactive glands right or, or overactive and they're grotesque plant gland pan, plan panda glandas. glands there's panda glands panda glands yeah. yeah. Well, I hate to hate on the pandas, but I don't at all. So <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have to do a bonus episode on Nobska because he sounds like he was really seriously quite the character. Some of the pictures of him in his Albanian uniforms and he was not Albanian. Yeah. He just was like really into Albania. <laughs> um <laughs> Just a weird ass fanboy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the, he was he was born in like the late 1800s, died in the, like the mid or the early 1930s or something like that, and um, he was fairly like I mean I couldn't find it. It was pretty obvious that he was very flamboyantly gay, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Though it was also cited that he was probably able to be so open about it because he was a rich boy. Mm-hmm. I also was impressed because it sounds like he was probably pretty severely mentally ill with bipolar, mm-hmm. but it didn't 
didn't end super great for him. So <laughs> I also am a little sad about that. So, um, but he made major contributions to paleontology. He's actually frequently thought of as the father of paleobiology. And he is the person who pioneered the idea of insular dwarfism, which kind of ties oh, cool. into our um, biological constraints episode because he was able to identify dwarfism in Transylvania, which I didn't even know about oh, Transylvania cool. and dinosaurs, but apparently they're miniature, Megan. You would love them. I tolerate them. The sauropods are like little sauropods. Isn't that cute? It's just a scaly alpaca. Yes. And I think because he was so used to the little guys when he realized how big the other ones got, he's like, well, obviously that's how they died because of their overactive glands. So we'll have to dive more into the stories that he um, is part of. Yeah. Okay. So overactive glands, what else, what else have we considered? We also hear a lot about eggs. You know, there's some ideas that um, mammals ate all of the dinosaur eggs and Mm. killed them off, which again, I'm a fan of that. Yeah. That sounds great. Good for them. Right. Seriously. The issue of course, is that mammals didn't just first show up right before the extinction of the dinosaurs. They coexisted for like over a hundred million years or something like that. So um, it, it wasn't like a novel thing. Thing for them to be in each other's ecosystems. Um, they also, uh, there's also some ideas that dinosaurs ate each other's eggs so much. Like T-Rex was just like, man, Triceratops scrambled tonight. And um, that they like killed each other off by eating each other's eggs. Um, and then there's some ideas from some fucked up eggshells in Spain that their eggshells were deformed and that would have caused the embryos to never have hatched because they're either too thin or too thick and then caused like respiration issues between for the embryo and the atmosphere prehistoric ddt is that what we're talking about yes (gasps) okay where is rachel carson when you need her yes yes um However, it this isn't seen in dinosaur eggs in other parts of the world. So again, it's yeah. pretty unlikely that their eggs just suddenly malfunctioned across the planet and they all died. Uh, so that didn't super take off. And then this is another funny one that is actually from like the last couple decades mm-hmm. is there is the scientist who thinks that dinosaurs were like crocodiles and alligators, which the sex of the embryos and the eggs of crocs and gators can be influenced by the temperature of their environment. And so this guy thought that since climate change, which we do know that climate change was not helping the situation during the KT extinction, that since climate change was going on, probably because of our farting volcanic earth situation, that all of the eggs were heated to a degree where they only produced males. So we just had too many dudes um, and they were just sword fighting all the time and they weren't able to find any, you know, females to reproduce with. But again, the problem with this is that that's what crocodiles, that's, you can influence the sex of crocodile eggs by temperature, but crocodiles survived. Yeah. We still have crocodiles. So obviously if crocs didn't get totally screwed by yeah. this, then dinosaurs shouldn't either. So I just, I really want to interrupt and point out. So while we're filming these, here's a little yeah. behind the scenes view Uh, We have like an outline that we're going down and both of us write our own notes in the outline, which means that they don't 100% make sense to each other. So I have been waiting a full 30 (laughs) minutes to know why the fuck Amy wrote old school reasons, glands, eggs, too many dicks. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) That's what that meant. (laughs) 
That's what it means. Also, <laughs> new hypothesis that Amy Atwater is just putting out there right now that the males were born with five dicks. <laughs> That's really what I was thinking was like, are they like did the evolution of hemipedes? And they didn't know which one actually was connected to the spunk. So they never <laughs> knew how to get exhausting <laughs> oh my gosh oh man well okay i feel like i'm gonna just change the order here because i feel like this goes obviously into sex yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's like fuck the bugs i don't care about what this bug hypothesis oh Let's yeah some sex lakes sex lakes yeah okay so this is like i mean mostly like a joke in the community but it is out there yeah. and this guy does straight up like news articles on this shit uh but there is a guy brian ford who believes that um dinosaurs died because they were simply too big and chonky to mate on land and therefore they had to go to water, right? Um, like uh, to um, bring up the water's buoyancy so that they could successfully get it on with their five dicks. <laughs> uh, and okay, this is the part that really is just bad. Uh, he's quoted, this is a quote. Oh, I'm just going to read it if I can without laughing. As the continents drifted, the shallow lakes shrank and the dinosaurs ecosystem disappeared. The giant dinosaurs could only evolve wading in shallow water to take their weight. Once the Earth's surface changed, their environment disappeared. And so did they. Fun fact, we don't have lakes today. I don't know if you knew that, but <laughs> <laughs> there's no such thing as lakes anymore. They disappeared lock? after Pangea split. So. What is a lock? <laughs> I know. I just like love this idea of right plate tectonics being taken to a place where the continents are moving to a point where there are no lakes anywhere. Yeah. So, um, also how yeah, would sorry. continent movement get rid of lakes? Like, right. <laughs> it just shakes them up too much. Like if they slam into each other, then they make deeper basins. Like, Right. Well, and I think it's like tied to the shrinking of maybe the Western interior seaway, right? So we do mm -hmm. have this inner continental sea that stretches from the Gulf of Mexico all the way through like the Canadian Arctic that splits up North America with this shallow, warm sea. And it does get smaller and smaller and smaller throughout the Cretaceous and eventually disappears. And then when we go into the Paleocene and Eocene, we have things like Green River Formation, yeah. which is this ancient lake in the early mid Eocene. I mean, like we have evidence of lakes right after the dinosaurs yeah. and during the dinosaur extinction. So it is, it's pretty funny. Also like if they were good at fucking in lakes, what, why not ocean also? Like, yeah, true. And that just leads me to think that like, under this hypothesis, there would have been like a mad rush of <laughs> dinosaurs to go fucking the ocean. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> like fucking like line up along the coast but maybe <laughs> the, the salt in the oceans made them too buoyant and they floated away <laughs> just trying to hit it like they ice cubes someone needs to be sinking here can't be me <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, it does make for some really entertaining imagery in the old brain. So yes. Yeah. Also a fantastic, a fantastic video game. There is a video game called sex lakes by frost dragon. It is 
so funny. Check it out. You should go play that. Not now. Listen to the rest of us. After but, that. You know, after that. It's pretty great. Sex yeah. I, I didn't quite know that the yeah. whole sex lakes thing had to do it directly with extinction. So I was very entertained by finally digging into this concept I'd heard so little much about. <laughs> <laughs> So much mockery, so little support. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, we already mentioned the bugs. I'll just mention it very briefly. And this is another one that's not old. Like, this is like fair. Oh, wait. No, this one might be old. It was the Too Many Dudes that was pretty recent. But there's an entomologist who thought that, like, too many caterpillars. They're like, oh, they ate all the Cretaceous vegetation. And so all the herbivores would have starved. But again, like, caterpillars and moths and butterflies had been around for millions of years coexisting. Yeah. We also don't have any fossil record of, like, a boom in just caterpillars <laughs> all over the place. Um, so again, I mean, unique way to think, right? There's just like, you know, let's get a bunch of different perspectives on this. However, to just summarize the KT stuff, it was a fucking asteroid. Okay. And like the first, like, <laughs> I mean, again, oh gosh, it's still debated. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. there, we're going to hear about some volcanic stuff. That's also probably playing a role, but it's actually debated if that was like hurting or helping, mm. which is really interesting too. But the majority of scientists agree that it was again, this asteroid that fucking finished him off it was the ending and with the first evidence we had of this asteroid is again we had this boundary dinosaurs present then above they're not present and also what's found here is this layer of clay and when scientists began studying the layer of clay they found that it was full of iridium and so this is a metal that is common in asteroids comets and meteorites and it's not very common on earth and so there was a team in the 1970s walter and luis alvarez who finally identified this iridium layer and then it started to be found across the planet in the exact same place in this exact same boundary i've actually seen it we've been to drumheller where it's present in the rocks and the paleosols out there i've seen it in makoshika state park it's technically in big bend national park it's also on south table mountain here in denver it's actually one of the places where it was first identified in north america so it is across the globe and again to get a layer of metal across the fucking globe takes quite an event So they hypothesized that there was some sort of comet or asteroid that had hit the Earth at some point, but they didn't actually know this for sure because no impact crater had been found. That was a little bit later that they actually did find the impact crater um, in the 1990s. I read that it was in partly because they were looking for oil, which I find like kind of ironic and funny, but not that surprising. Yeah. So they found this huge crater off the Gulf of Mexico near the Yucatan Peninsula. And I mean, we're talking a fucking huge crater. Um, I read that it was about 180 kilometers wide, so about 110 miles. And then it was also about 12 miles deep, 20 kilometers deep. So we're talking about a big old hunk of space just plowing into planet Earth Mm -hmm. and doing some serious carnage. So they found shit tons of iridium here they found shocked quartz was essentially when quartz grains get so fucking obliterated that they get shocked in their own weird chemical compound sort of way um tektites which are like large glass beads that have weird shapes and textures Mm -hmm. that again can only really be formed from insane just impacts uh also we've got um you know tiny glass sphericals and or all sorts of crazy shit that's right here and uh it uh it just decimated. Uh, obviously, anything in that immediate area in the Gulf of Mexico was fucking doomed. But what it ended up doing 
is it struck a lot of carbonate rocks. So these are things like limestone and things like that. Um, and it just, just put a huge dent in the earth's crust, which actually led to a ton of dust, ash, sulfur, and other crazy shit being put into the atmosphere. This led to the sun essentially being blocked, which led to the globe cooling down, which um, fucked over all ecological processes. So they call this like an impact winter or like a nuclear winter, if you will. It just was bad. It was bad. The crater, the asteroid they estimate to be about like maybe 11 kilometers in diameter. So, I mean, like that's like six, six plus miles. Some estimate it to be even bigger. Yeah. And so that's, it just caused all of this chaos. So obviously everything in the immediate area died pretty quickly. It also caused obviously mass tsunamis. It caused just lots of crazy shit to all water systems, but it took a lot longer for this impact winter to have the effects. And we're talking like 10 to 30,000 years, which again is actually very, very fast for an extinction event. And then what was really interesting, because I think we're going to talk about some volcanic stuff next, is there was a bunch of volcanic activity happening at this time, too, that people pointed to with the Deccan Traps. And this paper from 2020 actually wrote that it may have lessened the impact of the extinction because it was pumping so much CO2 into the atmosphere that it warmed everybody up for a little bit. from their cold, cold impact winter. And it increased usable habitats and like prolonged their agony for a little bit longer. So instead of like working together to murder the dinosaurs, the Deccan traps or the earth farts may have been like (laughs) helping a little, just a little bit. So do you know if there was like, we don't know. We weren't there. No, we weren't there. Do we know (laughs) if there's a carbon excursion at that point for the Deccan traps? I would assume there would have been, yeah, something. Yeah. Well, from yeah, some CO2 for sure. I would think that More carbon? Um, a lot of those large volcanic whatevers okay. are pumping out a ton of a ton of different greenhouse gases, all of which warm up the planet, whether it's good or bad. So it's it's uh, but yeah, I'm uh, hi. Uh, yeah, the Deccan traps are, are an interesting situation, too. And I think we'll hear more about that because things if you thought the KT shit was bad, you thought a giant asteroid hitting, you know, your vacation spot in Mexico was shitty. Well, you shouldn't have been around during the Permo Triassic. So tell us about what happened with that one. Yes. The, the current theory that we see uh, is largely CO2 derived because we do see this massive spike in carbon dioxide, uh, but we also see this pretty big spike in mercury. And mercury is kind of weird because you can get mercury in volcanic eruptions. Um, and mercury doesn't usually last super long. Like mercury can be really devastating, but it tends to get out of the ecosystem within about 10,000, 11,000 years. Which, considering the length of time that the Permo-Triassic extinction was happening, it seems like maybe mercury, you know, like, shouldn't have been that big of a cause. But if you get mercury in the water, and you have constant eruptions, which you do during this time period, uh, you can have increased mercury that is poisoning things. Um, So we've got carbon dioxide, uh, and we've got mercury kind of as the double toxic shock punch, which is fun. Um, <laughs> and so, um, carbon dioxide in and of itself can cause a variety of problems beyond just like making things hot, hot, hot. Uh, it can cause ocean acidification because it dissolves in it and it makes carbonic acid. So acid, not great, especially if you're a shelled organism, cause you kind of can't continue to make your shell. 
Uh, right? Yeah. And then uh, increased heat can cause anoxia. So it can make it so that waters in particular, it doesn't really do it to the air, but for water, uh, it can make it so there's not enough oxygen because colder water holds more oxygen than warmer water does. So you get uh, acid oceans, oceans with no oxygen, all real bad for marine species, which then in turn also causes problems for terrestrial species, yep. which are already having problems because it's fucking hot. So why is it so fucking hot? Where did the CO2 come from? Who brought the heat? It came from a combination of sources. So during this time period, there is a massive eruption of basaltic lava known as the Siberian Traps. We already mentioned the Deccan Traps. The Deccan Traps are similar. They're basically um, really big plumes from our mantle are just tossing up lava onto the surface in extremely large amounts. Oh. That said, it does take quite some time. So the Siberian Traps were erupting for several million years. They started erupting before the extinction. Oh, yeah. They kind of continued erupting after the extinction. And similarly, Deccan Traps also lasted a long time. There was actually a third set, by the way, of, well, I guess it wasn't the same time period, but there's another set of large igneous provinces that I had not heard about called the Choyoy, um, which is, yeah, and it's in South America. And it's, <laughs> its nickname is uh, CHMP, so CHAMP. So you get the the champ uh, eruptions, yeah, which I had not heard about. But it was at the same time as the Permo-Triassic, and it kind of came in right at the end. So there's some people that are like, well, maybe it was like the Permo, like the Siberian traps were bad, and then the Choyoy was like, fucking and, finish Yeah, up. and it's just like a whole lot of lava, which is interesting. Like, yeah, what was going on in the mantle that's like, yeah, um, it's like all this, like a you know, like an acne case on planet earth's face so like all of a sudden yes. they're just erupting so i calculated this out for uh the siberian traps because i was curious as to how much lava it was and every time i do this like i've done this with the columbia river basalts and whatever to try and get like an estimate another great volcanic event yes yeah but uh here's my estimate <laughs> it seems as though if you took all of the erupted lava from the siberian traps like the estimated prior to erosion amount, and you spread it out over all of Eurasia, you would still have a 16-story building worth of lava. Oh, my God. It's a lot of fucking lava. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, my frame of reference, just to talk about the CRBs or the Columbia River basalts, mm -hmm. is like Pacific Northwest, North America. We have a shit ton of basalt everywhere. Like, literally, if you're in Oregon and you pick up a rock, it's a fucking piece of basalt. Like, that's just what it is, like, statistically mm -hmm. speaking. And it's, I, I remember in geology classes being taught, like, what a huge uh, volcanic eruption it was. And again, these are like fissures, not like volcanoes. And then yeah. I remember, I think it was Marley Miller being like, oh, no, 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 no. These are nothing compared to what the Siberian traps would have been or the Deccan yes. traps would have been, but the Siberian traps even more so of just like, uh, just it's hard. You cannot wrap your head around the volume of lava and yes. basalt that we're talking about covering the earth because yeah. um, it's terrifying. <laughs> With the Siberian traps eruption, it took a long time. And yes, basaltic lava, it does frequently put CO2 into the air, but it still seemed like a really strange spike. So we're going to pause on lava and I'm going to tell you something that they found in Canada. Oh, your homeland. My homeland in the Arctic of Canada. They found something called fly ash, which is my new favorite geologic term. Fly ash is the weird, super heavy metal coal ash that you get if you burn coal. Oh, okay. So they find evidence of coal being burned 
not by people or dinosaurs or whatever, obviously, but coal being burned by fires mm. all the way over in Canada. So you have like this big ash plume moving from Siberia to Canada because in Siberia, there's a massive, massive deposit of coal. Uh. And these Siberian traps, these lava uh. flows are coming up and into them uh. and on top of them. So they're melting through basically like this nasty container of carbon dioxide and doing kind of what we're doing (laughs) with coal and with burning fossil fuels, but like on a massive, massive extent. And what has been kind of confusing about this is that if you get like a fissure eruption that goes through a big amount of coal, so you split open a big line, you get like this big fountain of lava that just kind of slowly covers it. Well, that's the thing, right? It covers it and it caps it. So how could that possibly be causing so much burning of coal, so much release of gases? And if you look at the Siberian traps, when the biggest portion of the uh, extinction event is happening, it's actually not surface eruptions of lava. It's sills. A sill, if you're not familiar with the term, is where lava is kind of coming in and going along seams and it's not actually making it to the surface. So it's underground lava. Uh, Yeah. And the other thing that we find at this time period is something called a diatreme or a breccia pipe. Basically it's like a tube of fucked up rock uh, that goes straight down and they can be caused by massive explosions. Mm, So some of them are up to like 2.7 kilometers across so, so what you have here is you have lava coming up, penetrating this coal, burning it underground, creating so much gas that it creates Whoa. an explosion, which creates this fly ash that just goes all the way across the globe. Oh, my God. Just dumps CO2. And you know what else coal has a whole hell of a lot of, Amy? Sadness. <laughs> yes. Also that. Mercury. Ah. It has a fuck ton of mercury in it. If you're having this happen (laughs) for long periods of time in particular, that kind of explains why we see, they do see evidence of mercury accumulating. Like mercury is not not great. And there's a lot of mercury in the water system as well. You get ocean acidification, you get anoxia, you get things heating up, uh, you get coal ash. And (laughs) the whole time there's just like fucking mini explosions happening um, from coal being burned underground, which is so strange. Jesus. Yeah. So that's the Siberian traps. And that's a big part of why we think that wow. the Permo-Triassic really seems to have been a combination of volcanoes and coal. And those two things, if the Siberian traps had erupted not through fuck tons of coal, mm. probably mm. the Permo-Triassic would not nearly have been such a big extinction. But because it was erupting through coal... It made this huge carbon spike, left all of these insane pipes of exploded rock around, tossed mercury into the air and into the atmosphere, which then got into the oceans. Uh, and yeah, really, really fuck some shit up. That's the Siberian traps. Jeez. Wow. I also wanted to point out that you remember how like the Russians were super into digging those really long holes for a while? And I don't know why they stopped. <laughs> But the borehole experiments? Sure. Sure. No. (laughs) Sure. One of them, uh, it sounds like they just hit so much fucking basalt from the Siberian traps. Uh, They went through a whole kilometer deep section of Siberian trap basalt and were like, fuck, never mind. (laughs) So, yeah, Siberian traps, uh, real thick, 
real nasty, real gassy. Just like me. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, be sure to rate and review us on your listening platform of choice. We really, really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to hear more and support the show, you can follow us on Patreon for some exclusive bits or on our various social media platforms. You can follow Amy on Instagram at Mary Anning's Revenge and Megan on Instagram and TikTok as Geopedal Fabric or both of us at Weird and Dead on Instagram and TikTok. This podcast is brought to you by the Geology Podcasting Network network produced by the traveling geologist aka chris spencer our theme song is unlock me by praz canal you can follow them on spotify p-r-a-z-a-h-a-n-a-l cover art was provided by chris spencer and the hosts editing services were provided by abby jansen and chris spencer and a little bit of us as well and this has been hosted and researched by us amy atwater and megan weatherall thank you for listening oh i just burped (laughs) excuse me (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel. There's a sore pod now, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.